Hi everybody, I'm Jeff Suckendorf, CEO of UTDs. I don't even know the name of my company anymore. It changed. We did <laughs> what, that five times. Is the name changed? Yeah, it's UTD Scuba Diving now, not Unified Team Diving. Well, it's Unified Team Diving or UTD Scuba or UTD Diving. Right. Yeah. You gotta have an official name. It's UTD Scuba Diving. Okay. Hey everybody, welcome back to the UTD Scuba Diving Podcast. I am Jeff Seckendorf here with our training director, Ben Boss. Hey, Ben. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Except it's raining in Southern California. <laughs> it's sunny here in October, November. But that's just ridiculous, right? Isn't there a song about that? Yeah. It never rains in Southern California. Um, okay, so we are back with our favorite thing to do probably inside of all of UTD, which is the most obscure questions in scuba diving. And this one is the cylinder management episode. Yeah, I guess we can call it that because all the questions we've got surround basically about cylinders and gas and manipulation and stuff. And waiting and exposure suits and breathing them down to zero. And we have all sorts of other crazy questions. So... Um, good. So we got a couple things upcoming, right, that we should talk about first. One is the DEMA show, the Dive Equipment Marketing Association show in Orlando, Florida, which is the first week in November. Yeah. So we'll be there with a booth. You and I will both be there. I don't know who else is coming. Maybe James is coming down. We'll mm -hmm. see who else makes it. So be sure to join us. We're in the tech area there. We're doing a couple of talks, one on coaching and one on the evolution of Ratio Deco. So that'll be fun. And then right after DEMA... You're doing a tech course. Yeah, exactly. The way it looks now is we're going to go down to um, the Keys in, in Florida, south of Florida, and we'll do a combination of Tech Creational and Tech One there. So far, we got a few students signed up, uh, but we still have spots available. So if you're keen, um, drop us a note, and then uh, we might see if we can fit you in. That'd be great. I think it's a really good opportunity for people to train with you. Um, we have other instructors who may be showing up and um, some really dedicated UTD students who are going to be there also. So you should have a great time with that. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And then the other upcoming thing we have is the European Instructor Meeting and Community Meeting. And that's going to be October. It's coming up really soon. October 21st and 22nd in Madrid in this, um, I think it's called uh, Marapolis Pool. I think that's how, how you say it. Yeah. So this is this... 20 meter, 60 foot deep training pool that's in Madrid. And it should be really fun. So we have instructors coming from Spain and Italy. Um, I'm going, we're gonna be doing these crazy buoyancy control games, which should put everybody to the test. Uh, we're gonna do them with the instructors and we're also gonna do them with the, the, the uh, community of divers. So should be really fun. So it's not just for people who are trained or teaching in UTD. So if you're interested in potentially becoming a UTD instructor or dive master, join us on Friday night for the UTD instructor meeting. And if you're interested in training uh, in a class, then just join us on Saturday for the, the fun, right? The diving, the food, the meetings, the talking. One of our former instructors, uh, Mosan uh, Rodrigo up in, uh, I, I think he's also in Madrid. No, he's up in the, in the northern part of Spain, but a bit further to the east, I think. He just sent me a note this morning that his short eight-minute film called Fragile won the Audience Award at the San Diego Undersea film expedition wow and and so i i watched it this morning and the film is beyond spectacularly beautiful he did such a good job at this so uh if you just search for the san diego undersea um film exposition it's actually a film festival and it it when they did it live before covid the thing was like 10 or 15 minutes from my house so we used to go every year but this year it's moved online. There are, I don't know, about 30 films. It's $10 to get all of them. And uh, it's this, this movie was just spectacularly beautiful. So, uh, And it, it told a really important story. It doesn't surprise me, though. He's such a creative person. I mean, he's one of those persons, you know, that's good graphically. He plays the guitar, you know, he's a good instructor. I mean, it's just, it doesn't surprise me at all, to be honest. So that was great. That was great to... Uh, to see the movie and hear back from him. So uh, thanks for that, Mosan. All right. So uh, anything else before we start? You have anything else exciting? No, I only uh, regrets that I couldn't. I, I can't join you for the Madrid um, uh, community meeting. That's That would be fun. But next time, 
but I'll be uh, in Norway uh, also teaching a tech class uh, just just in the same period. So, so it's a shame I can't come there. Yeah, one of the things we're going to do at the meeting is set up the next um, UTD skills camp, which will be likely in that pool in Madrid. So you'll be there for that. So yeah, you'll have everybody, you'll have people have an opportunity to train with you um, for a couple of days. I don't know when we're going to do it. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's let's look at some of these questions. You know, when I looked at this list, I thought, well, let's call it the gas management episode. But then I started looking at these questions and it's it's really not so much about gas management per se as it is about managing the gas in relationship to your cylinders. Which I don't know, it seems like semantics, right? But Yeah, it's um uh, it's not. Yeah, it, it does a little bit, but there is a there is a how you say a nuance to the differences and and some of these questions are coming through from our coaching clients, some of them who are preparing now to join in the tech class in either Norway or in Florida. So they're kind of tech related, but um it's interesting that it's this way and it, it always makes me think that okay, wait. These are also questions I hear a lot of the times from people outside of UTD. Yeah, you know, interesting divers we meet on dive shows and all that sort of stuff, or when you talk to people. Um, so yeah, I think we just jump right in um, with the first one. All right, so here we go. Here's the first one. So this is related to back mount doubles, right? Yeah. This first thing. Okay, so when you're dealing with a manifold issue, and of course, that's a broad statement because, you know, at, at the minimum, we have nine failures in back mount doubles that we train for. Why not breathe from the affected cylinder until it's empty? Well, that opens a can of worms in a couple of different ways. So why don't you start on this? Well, it does. And it, yeah. So in, in our materials, and this is why the question popped up from this particular student, in our materials, we have a sort of a flow chart that graphically shows what the response is to a certain failure of your twin set. Now, on your twin set, you have two uh, regulators, two, second, two first stages, and then you have three valves you can manipulate. The left valve, the right valve, and your isolator valve. Um, then you have certain spaces where O-rings can break, uh, for example, the O-rings of the hoses from the low-pressure ports or the high-pressure port on your first stages, but also the O-rings from the actual cylinders, the cylinder neck, or the O-rings in the manifold that connect the both cylinders together. Um, so the question was, in a failure where you have isolated the left side from the right side because it's non-fixable. One of the manifold O-rings or the tank neck O-ring is broken and you're losing all the gas from that cylinder. You isolate, so that way you only lose one side. Uh, and then the question was, why don't we not breathe off of that affected side until that runs out? Because that would be more economical. Right. I mean, well, it could be a while too, right? Because I mean, it, a failure doesn't have to be like you know a jet engine of bubbles flying out of your tanks. No, it could just be a small and constant stream that you know is going to empty the tank over a half an hour, maybe forty minutes or something, and then or ten or, or ten, or it could get worse. So you do have to deal with it, but realistically, if it's bubbles that are not massive, I, I think it's not an unreasonable question to say why not use that gas rather than just having it piss away into the ocean exactly however then there's the there's the caveat in there thing where they say until it's empty uh, exactly so let's finish this conversation then let's talk about until it's empty <laughs> yeah exactly because that's another whole different part of it well that's the thing right i mean if we if we take a step back and look at how we plan for our gas usage and what we can do when we want to share gas and how we deal with potential out of gas scenarios there's a something called rock bottom and it's funnily enough that's next question that we're going to touch on is about rock bottom so it's a nice intro and a segue later on so rock bottom is what we call the absolute minimum amount of gas you need to take two divers breathing off a single air source to the next available air source or the surface, whichever comes first. So it could be a deco bottle. 
could be a gas switch. So it could be a deco bottle, could be a stage bottle, could be any any gas source you can breathe. So basically, that means if we're talking about a twin set, you have rock bottom for two divers in two cylinders, and you have rock bottom for one diver in one cylinder by that by that thinking, by that rationale. So imagine you're swimming along and you get this manifold failure. You hear bubbles behind your back. You listen if it's the right or the left side. You guess it's the right side. You turn off that right valve. You breathe down the long hose, switch to the necklace and listen. Hey, the bubbles are still there. Now you isolate. Then you call in your team to confirm that you made the right choice. Maybe it's something else. It could be left side. You never know. They, in this case, let's say you were you were correct and it was the right side on the manifold that's leaking. Now you're on your necklace, it's isolated, you do a flow check, confirm that the right side is closed, manifold is closed, left side is open, and you can you can check your gas because the left side is open, but now you exit your dive. You're either on your way up or on your way out or whatever the case may be. Now, the question was, then why not breathe can we wait, wait, wait? Let's just stop. Let's let's just stop for one second there, because I think you you went by something kind of quickly that I think is an important part of this, and also for questions that are coming up, which is doubles have rock bottom for two, singles have rock bottom for one. So when you finish this part of the conversation, let's talk about if you're using your own gas, which is rock bottom for one, do you stay on your own gas? Or do you keep that and share gas with somebody else so you've got your own reserve? The, the gas, it's a, that's a good question on its own. And I think we've done a, a video on it, redundancy in scuba diving. Why and why certain things are redundant and certain things are not redundant. Because um, in that thinking, right, you could do all technical dives perfectly fine on a single tank. If you if you calculate for the gas that you can get with your team, you know, what's the issue? I can have a big 18-liter tank on my back, and you can have a big 18-liter tank on your back. If my equipment fails, I can share gas with you, and we can exit. I mean, why not? Well, the reason is it is because we don't want to hinder the rest of the team for for longer than necessary. And this is why in recreational dives, your ascent is always a straight ascent to the surface, right? It's, you're never going to plan for decompression dives. You're never going to plan for thirds traveling underwater. So you're going to don't have any complications with gas switches and all that sort of stuff. So the simplicity of the air share, then getting out of dodge, Maximum is going to take you eight minutes because the deeper depth we're going to do recreational diving to is 30 meters, 100 foot. And the ascent from that takes, with the one minute of solving the issue, eight minutes. So that's overseeable and that's doable. Now, when we talk about technical diving, and the reason we don't want to do these longer dives with a single tank is because if you have an issue, then yes, you can be sort of self-reliant in dealing with that issue so you can hinder the team less with your problem and this is the key uh, a lot of people think that as soon as they start diving doubles that they can be solo and self-sufficient and i can solve my own problems i don't need a team i don't need a buddy blah 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 no no that's not the reason the reason is we don't want to hinder the team for longer than necessary and in this case when it's a manifold issue i can solve it sort of on my own meaning I can take the initial reactions. I still need my team to confirm uh, if I made the right decision. Um, and this has been a very funny test. Uh, I've done many, many times at dive sites that for people that, that, that contest this, that, that, that like are skeptical. It's like, no, no I, I, I know I have this mirror on my arm and I can check myself and, you know, I can hear if it's left or right and and, you know, I've proven them wrong time and time again. And if you make that mistake, you are so screwed. You're screwed. I mean... You're just screwed because you're going to sit there fat, dumb, and happy yeah. thinking that you've got, you know, left sides full and you you're you shut down and you're breathing off, you know, and eventually you're just pissing away all your gas. It's, it's just a mistake and a, and a failure waiting to happen. 
you can't and you can't hear it. You know the it is because you you know with especially with the hood, it's you can't hear anything. So you just can't tell. So so to come back to the question, why not breathe off the affected side? It makes sense to think that, right? Because like you said, why not breathe off my own gas? I'm wasting it either slow or fast. If it's fast, it might be less inclined. You might be less inclined to breathe off it. But if it's a, if it's a small leak, um, you'd still isolate it. You'd still exit the dive because we don't want to you know, dive on faulty equipment. But you might be inclined to breathe off that. Now, why don't we want to? A, the simple First simple short answer is we don't want to add another form of surprise to a dive where you've just been surprised by this failure. You're you're in your happy place, you're swimming along, and all of a sudden things start breaking behind your back, bubbles start bubbling, you know, you need to, to deal with this, now you're on your way out. You don't want another surprise of running out of gas, because that gas is going away. So if you were to breathe off the affected cylinder, of the emptying cylinder, you're going to get an out-of-gas situation that you have to respond to again, but you don't know when it's coming. There's no way for you to know when it's coming because the leak can be, can be escalating, it can slow down, it can speed up. You have no idea what the, what the magnitude is of the, the, the speed of you losing the gas. So you don't want to add another level of surprise and complexity. That's the first one. I think that's a really, really important point. Though, it is is that probably the most important. If you point. deal with, if you deal with something and you solve that thing, and you know you can get to the surface or gas switch, and you know you're not going to have any more surprises because although we train for multiple failures, we only plan for one catastrophic failure. It doesn't make any sense to put yourself in a position like you just said that you're going to get another surprise. It just the dive's over. Exactly. Even if you get little champagne bubbles coming out. The dive should be over. And then you're you're really looking at, let's just get home safe and sound and not have any more chaos. I agree with that 100%. It's super easy. The second one is, there's no need to. You don't win anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, You don't it's true. win anything. You, you only stand to lose more because you might be surprised and you might be stressed by the second surprise. And it always comes... In a, in a spot where you don't want it and you don't expect it or you don't need it and it's, it's, it's going to be a nightmare but you don't need to yeah that's the other thing you fix you fix something in a situation where you're stable and then your next surprise which is potentially inevitable comes in a situation when you're not stable maybe it happens at 6 meters 20 feet where it super swells everywhere it's hard to hold buoyancy where your first surprise was at 21 meters 70 feet and it's stable. You can just fix it. Right. In the middle of your gas switch, you're going to run out of that gas you're breathing. Now you have three regulators in your hands. You're juggling. Yeah. You have the Deco bottle in your hand. You know, you're running out of gas before you switch. It's not worth it. I guess we should call this whole idea of failures control the surprises. Exactly. It is controlling the surprises, right? I mean, so so there's no need. And, and when I spoke to this student, he was still like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, but... I'm a calm person, you know, I could, I could deal with that surprise. I'm like, okay, well, think about it this way. You're going to go with your car driving through a desert, you know, and there's towns every so often through the desert, but not very many. So what do you do? You bring a big jug of extra fuel with you and it's in the boot. Okay, great. Now you're driving along and before you reach the next town, the fuel light goes on on your dashboard telling you that the car has gone into reserve you know bing please go and fuel the car now what do you do do you stop put in that extra jug of fuel you brought with you or do you just keep driving until your car really conks out and then you stop for then you have to stop because you're completely dry and then you fill in your reserve gas what do you do you you'd fill in the reserve gas before you run completely out right because now you can sort of control it. You have maybe, I don't know, maybe 30 miles before the machine stops working because there's no fuel anymore. So it's the same thing here. Control the surprises. This is very well said, Jeff. Control the surprises. Now you know you're going to run out of fuel soon. Now you can find a spot to, 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 to pull into that you can put your reserve gas into your tank and now you can make it to the next town. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes your metaphors are a little whacked, but that one's actually pretty good. 
It's not that bad, right? <laughs> no, it's no, it's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, let's just tag on to the end of this. The little thing on this question that bugs me more than everything, which is until it's empty. Yeah. So how do we just say nicely, don't ever breathe a tank until it's empty? <laughs> no. no. Good point. <laughs> I yeah. mean, just just don't do it. Right? No. Just don't do it. Stop above the intermediate pressure on your first stage regulator, whatever that is, right? 10 bar, 12 bar, 140 PSI, something yeah. like that. Don't screw up your regulators. Don't think you can breathe the tank dry. And that last, boy, you talk about a surprise, that last, yeah, where there's nothing left, that'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny that people I sometimes encourage people to give it a try to really like in a very controlled environment, where you can stand up, stick your face in the water and just breathe the tank dry. See what it feels like, because it's not like some organizations, they teach like an air depletion where they, they simulate it by turning off a valve and letting you breathe it off. And like with we do the valve drills, um, you breathe down the cylinder and it's not the same sensation. The gas is not going to just stop uh it's gonna be harder and harder and harder and harder and harder to breathe and it's a it's a good sensation you can kind of simulate it if you turn it off really really slowly yeah yeah it really um, make it hard and i've done this with i've done this with students where you literally have them standing up in in three feet of water with their head in and yeah you have hold, to be holding on to the side and then slowly 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 turn it off and you can kind of simulate it getting harder and harder to breathe before it goes away. And I think it's a good thing for people to experience that. So, you know, if you start to to realize that, hey, it's a little harder to breathe, what the hell's going on? That might be, you know, I haven't checked my gas in about two hours. Maybe it's time to look. Yeah, or the SPGs conked out on you. Yeah. Yeah, or the SPG conked out, yeah. Or you, you know, you doubles, you shut off the one that has the SPG. <laughs> exactly. It does yeah, happen. There's that. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So that's that leads us nicely into our next question, which is to talk about rock bottom for stages and deco bottles. And I want to add to this a little bit because one thing we do a lot with back mount doubles on two dives is take a stage for the first dive. And how far do you breathe that one down? How do you manage rock bottom when you have three cylinders? So, so let's, let's kind of roll both of those into this question, but let's start with, you know, does, is rock bottom part of gas planning when you, let's just make it simple, right? You have back gas doubles in one stage and a, and a single deco bottle. So your, your gas switch is say at six meters, 20 feet. Exactly. That's what, that's what this, in this case, the student asks also. So first of all, I started explaining that, okay, rock bottom is only calculated for the gas that is shareable. So meaning that the gas has two second stages coming off the same source, a long hose and a necklace. So one for you and one for your team. And that kind of answers it. So Well, it does and it doesn't because there is a whole community of people who say, oh no, somebody runs out of gas, I just give them my stage. Oh yeah, for sure. Someone died very recently, by the way, in that very same scenario uh, so that's not a good solution people seriously it's no fun making ill of the dead is that something you say but um uh, uh, this happened very very recently very close by here without going into details that that's what happened someone was diving they ran out of problem with gases couldn't deal with their own um failure get handed a cylinder and made it even worse. Sunk and drowned. Both of them, by the way. Both of them? Yeah, both of them. So... Oh, my God. Not a good idea. Yeah. There's... Yeah. No, the shareable thing with two... I mean, that's a really good way to just look at it, Ben, is just to say, okay, rock bottom has to have two second stages, period, end of story, no other discussion. Yeah, exactly. Because the stage... if we're, We can use a stage basically in two scenarios, right? Open water or cave or overhead. So... If we're using a stage in an open water scenario, we're going to probably use that stage down to the last uh, couple of bars, like 20, 30 bars. Like what's that? Yeah. Generally for PSI, we say take it to 200. Yeah. 200 PSI. Exactly. Right. That gives you enough buffer again above the 
intermediate pressure of the regulator. So when, if you go below the IP, which is why we keep talking about this, you're going to start to suck water into the regulator. Yeah, and plus the, the SPGs aren't that reliable below like 300 PSI and 50 bar and stuff like that. And that's, by the way, a little side note, the reason why all the manufacturers put red indication below 50 bar or below 300 PSI. It's nothing to do with that's the reserve. It's to do with, hey, be careful. From this point onwards, the, the calibration of this thing might not be right. <laughs> you might, it's not really showing you a proper value. So when we look at rock bottom, rock bottom, like I said before, is enough gas to bring two divers to the next available gas source, breeding off one source. So in this case, he said, do we calculate rock bottom for the back gas as well as also for the deco gas because what if we're sharing gas and when we reach the six meters we encounter a lost deco okay but that is unrealistic because we don't plan for two catastrophic failures exactly that's what i'm saying i said planning for two catastrophic failures is is kind of I mean, at some point you can just plan yourself completely out of a dive because, yeah. Yeah, and then you just What if the shark bites off your one leg? Do you care spare fins? I mean, <laughs> yeah. no. And that's a, <laughs> you know? That metaphor is not as good as the gasoline metaphor, by the way. No, <laughs> true. <laughs> but, but I think it's important because when, you're ta- when we're talking about, you know, rock bottom goes to the surface of the next available gas source, obviously the plan there is you, your next available gas source, everybody has their own deco bottle. Exactly. Right? It's not like we're, you know, it vanished. So you're going to get to that switch, you know, at 6 meters, 20 feet, or at whatever it is, you know, 21 meters, 70 feet, wherever your gas switch is. Whoever's compromised is going to switch first, get onto their alternate source, your deco source, and then the, everybody else will switch. And then everybody's back to normal and everything's fine. And you've got some back gas left that you didn't use as part of your rock bottom or not it doesn't matter but you're on your own gas thing then that's also the back side of the coin called rock bottom right because rock bottom either covers what we just now defined two times i'm not going to do it the third time um, <laughs> it also <laughs> it also covers you in in a case of lost deco because in lost deco procedures we're on the back gas longer than we would expect normally to be and rock bottom also covers one deco segment of half an hour. So, and this all ties back into why do we only need one deco bottle if, or can we suffice with one deco bottle if the deco doesn't over uh, go over 30 minutes? Uh, if we have more than 30 minutes of deco, we either add two of the same deco gas or another deco gas because we're too dependent on that one single cylinder and rock bottom doesn't cover it anymore. Now, lost deco gas does not mean you buddy breathe off your deco cylinder right no no that means you do a segment there's a whole procedure yeah you do a segment you do the next segment while your other guy's on back gas then you switch that cylinder yeah and the other guy does a segment or two and then you're on back gas and then so you're switching segments which is you know three four five eight minutes at a time Mm. on the shared gas until it runs out yeah yeah. so it's it's a very simple there's no rock bottom Yeah, there's no rock bottom in a deco bottle where you're buddy breathing. No. There's actually no rock bottom period where you're buddy breathing. No. There's actually no buddy breathing. There's nothing (laughs) called buddy breathing. No, that's not in our life. No. So so, then also to think about this question a little bit more practical, it's like, okay, wait a minute. You shouldn't be in a scenario where you reach the six meter. In this case, he was talking about oxygen or whatever deco stop. And then at that stop, first realize there that you lost your deco. Now, assuming you've been carrying that cylinder all the way. If you're diving in a cave or overhead, that's a different story because you've staged that cylinder on the line. And you might very well lose it, but lost deco gas doesn't mean you lost the bottle. It means you lost the gas. Broken or whatever. Yeah, or you turn it on and half of it just spits out. By the time you fix it, now you're down to half a cylinder. So that's also a lost gas scenario. So. Yeah, you, yeah, or you just inability to breathe off it for what reason, whatever. And this is why it's so important for every one of you to dive with deco or stages on you to make them a part of your flow check. So... Every so often you do a dive or you do, during your dive, you do a flow check, right? You control your valves, you make sure that they're all in the right position. 
So you start with your back mount cylinders, they're all open and you end up with an SPG check to confirm your gas. And then you also double check if you're diving with an Argon, just double check that one. And then your deco bottle, pressurize the cylinder or the, the first stage I should say. Keep it off, turned off, but pressurized and check the gas. Let's check the, the, the SPG on that stage or deco bottle. It should be a part of your flow check. That way you can actually see if there is a problem before. Because if you can see, okay, my deco cylinder is leaking from the neck, very, very common problem, uh, or from the SPG or whatever. It's something, it's emptied out. I've been scootering, it was like cranked open a little bit and it's been free-flowing in this in the wash of the scooter it happens um, you notice this during your flow checks now you see okay wow I've lost half my deco gas or all of it or whatever it's not available now you exit the dive you're already ahead of the curve because that's not gonna be a realization right at the turn point I mean that's just you know improbable that is, will happen at the point of return, deepest point into the dive, furthest away, worst case scenario. I mean, yes, potentially it could happen, but it's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. And it's, on two deco bottles, of course, you're going to know it coming in because you're going to make your switch, you know, 10 feet be or three meters before your, yeah. your actual um, switch point. Exactly. So if you're coming up from 70 feet, you're going to go back to back acid. 30 and then switch yeah. at 20 you know 21 meters exactly. and you're going to switch at nine and then six so uh, all right that's good on that piece of it right yeah i think so I think it, that's clear. it was clear for him yeah yeah okay good so just to recap that rock bottom is has to come from a source with two second stages only on shareable gas if you do that everything else makes i think more sense down the line all right let's change gears a little bit these next two questions kind of tie into each other. So the first, I'm going to give them both to you, and then we'll talk about them both along the way. The first is, what is the reason for doing a valve drill? Well, that's an interesting sort of broad question that, you know, we've been doing these things for 20 years, so it's interesting that that's come up now. I like that. And then the second thing is, how do you practice a valve drill with a buddy that's not trained in essentials or any kind of technical back gas thing. And more importantly, if you're diving with somebody and you're in doubles and they're in singles, not trained in doubles, and you have a problem, what do you do about that? Oh, that's a good one. That's an extra one. A little bonus question in there. A little bonus, bonus yeah, miles. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's start with why we do a valve draw. I think we can make this pretty quick because it's not really that, that complex. Yeah, no, it, it might not be uh, what people think. People think that we do a valve drill because we want to prepare for valve failures. And that's a very small part of it. Very, very tiny, tiny, tiny part of it. The reason we do a valve drill initially, like when we first introduced these skills, is the test for situational awareness and, and control of yourself, buoyancy control, trim positioning, all that sort of stuff. Because it's a complex drill. There's many steps involved. It requires a lot of brain power uh, to remember all the steps and not turn off all your gas. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, it's problematic and uh, and it also requires a lot of technique because your both hands are occupied lights need to be going from left to right signaling needs to be happen all that sort of stuff so it's a complex drill that really puts your situational awareness to the test uh, and your buoyancy control to the test so though that's the initial reason uh, behind it it's a very good way of training that and that ties in a tiny little bit to reaction to a failure well hold on let's let's go back to that for one second because i think the other thing that a valve drill does is it it allows you to demonstrate your own deficiencies and i don't i don't say deficiencies in a completely negative way i'm saying where are the gaps in your diving and or training that you can work on those will come out really quickly when you start doing valve drills. Can you reach your valves? Yeah. Can you maintain some semblance of trim? Can you find your, can you clip off your light and chase it underneath your long hose? Can you do all this stuff? And if not, we can look at you and say, okay, we, we can break this down to little pieces, right? So you're having trouble turning off the left valve. All right. This is something you can work on specifically. Your right valve's okay. Your left arm's tighter. So you work. So we can look at, at these little, 
and I again, deficiencies sounds very negative, but it's not. These little gaps in your ability to dive yeah. and fix them in there. The other thing is everybody who's gotten to a valve drill at some point has also done basic six. Yeah. Because it's, it's you know, it's basic six is like the very recreational version of a valve drill in a lot exactly. of ways. Exactly, yeah. Basic six, the way we present it to, the, to students is it is not designed to teach you how to do an air share or a regulator switch. It's a buoyancy, trim, position, and team awareness drill with task loading. Yeah, exactly. Anybody can do the skills, but can you do the skills in trim, in buoyancy, paying attention to your team, and and generally being able to be aware? So basic six is the first time we actually task load you and ask you to do all these other diving things at the same time. There's a flying analogy where if you have a problem in flying, the first thing you have to do is fly the airplane. After that, you can go deal with your problems. But if you stop flying the airplane while you're trying to fix a problem, you got other problems. Yeah. <laughs> so basic six, valve drill, even to some degree a gas switch at the beginning when you're doing the procedures perfectly. These are all you know, buoyancy trim, position, and team awareness drills with a task load. All these things, they circle back to the fact that we have, no matter what we stand in front of us, setting the ISO value on your camera, uh, changing a set point on your rebreather, doesn't really matter whatever you're doing. It's it's this half brain mentality. Half of the brain has to be flying the plane, right? All the time. Half of the brain has to be diving the dive all the time. You cannot take a back seat, you know? It's like, okay, if you're driving your car and you want to change the channel... You cannot focus 100% on the radio. You have to Good switch metaphor. your focus. And Good. it's the same. <laughs> Another one, yes. Twice in Twice one podcast. In one so, <laughs> so that's the, the first thing. The reason for the valve drill initially is situational awareness and, and, and like you said, deficiency recognition. So let's move on to, A, how do you practice that with somebody who's not trained? Because there are potential problems in a valve drill where you you know my favorite thing is to watch a student finish the valve drill and not turn on the left post Mm, before they switch back yeah exactly no when they're done yeah everything's done you're switched you know you take the left one out you go back to the long hose which is working you don't turn on the left post as an instructor the first thing i'll always do is put myself out of gas yeah then this student will donate to me and And then take the neck and put in the necklace that's not turned on yeah so you know, there are potential problems that can come into effect when you're doing these drills, which is why we like the whole team to be on the same page when you're doing them. So if you want to go in and practice your valve drill and your doubles and you've got somebody in a single tank who's not trained, what do you do? Yeah, I will get there. I just want to get back to reasoning before we touch on that question. Because the reason furthermore than the valve drill is also to teach you a correlation between what valve feeds what hoses right this is the this is now we're getting into uh, the second reason or the more maybe on the nose reason Ah, for the valve drills sorry i skipped ahead yeah a little bit but we'll get there so if if we're looking at the valve drill the way we teach it is we go from right to left turning off and on all the valves going from right to left. So we start off by turning off the right valve, breathing that long hose down, switching to the necklace, and I'm turning back on the long hose. And then we go to the manifold, closing it and opening it. Now we go to the left side, closing it and opening it. And the same thing goes, uh, and all the time switching back and forth between regulators that work, obviously. In certain organizations the valve drill is either done two-handed i've seen that before which is very very scary this is interesting so i agree with you completely that a two-handed valve drill is terrifying to watch so why is that it's very hard for you as an observer to to look at what what way they're turning the valve are they turning it on or off that's super hard to see so if someone has a brain fart and they're turning both valves off where they're maybe the plan was to open one and close the other, but they're both closing both valves off. Shit, you know, you're going to get yeah. hairy situations. And that's the thing, right, is that, you, that you're asking your brain to go exponentially harder in a situation where it should be going exponentially easier. Exactly, exactly, 
And then, then so don't do don't that. do that. <laughs> We've had a lot of those today. Don't do that. <laughs> and in other organizations where it was timed, you had to do a valve drill within a certain amount of time frame. Uh. The the timed one is also kind of pointless because why would you make it so timed? What's the whole idea? The whole idea of the valve drill is again, it's not to prepare you for the failures is a small part of it. But when we skip ahead and think about the failures, oh, we'll get to that. I don't want to skip ahead yet. I just want to get to the third third reason for this valve drill. Because the third reason for the valve drill is what you mentioned also, Jeff. It's like, can you actually reach the valves? What's the? Are there kinks in your armor that, that prevent you from reaching your valve? And, and, and can you stay in trim while reaching your valve? What is the actual cause? And in my experience, nine out of 10 times when people say, I cannot reach my valves for the valve drill. And I tell them it's because you are unable to do a modified frog kick. And they're like, what? What does my modified frog kick have to do on earth with my twin set? <laughs> and they either become intrigued and ask for more or they just shake their head and walk yeah. away. Uh, <laughs> But um, <laughs> you know, this guy looks like he knows what he's talking about on YouTube. But in real life, is what's this kind of response? Like, what bullshit is this? But um, no. So, so the reason for saying that is that nine out of ten times, people think about their twin set as being part of them and not a part of the system that they're underneath. And what I'm saying is that if you want to scratch your back. You're going to scratch your shoulder blade, for example. That's attached to you. You can do two things at the same time. You can, you know, scrug your shoulders, for those of you not watching the YouTube, shrug your shoulder and reach back over your shoulder to start scratching it. But that's because it's you. If you want to stand up against the wall with your back against the wall and you want to touch the wall with your hand, you know, if the wall was a part of you, you could shroud your back forward, making the wall come forward, and then you can reach back and reach the wall more easily. But if you do that, the wall is obviously not a part of you. Um, you're going to move the wall away from you further. So basically what you have to do is think the other way around. Bending yourself backwards, putting your top of your shoulders to the wall, and then reach back. And this is the same thing. Now, if we do this underwater without having good control of our trim, and this is where the modified frog kick comes in, if we don't have good control of our trim, we're going to start shifting some gas in our dry suit. And that makes our feet go down. And now we're going to get a vertical, more vertical position. The set is going to sag down a little bit. It's going to in, uh, like uh, encapsulate your shoulders. It's going to tighten up around your shoulders. It's going to move away from you and it's going to make it harder for you to reach. If you're in good control of your modified frog kick, you are therefore in good control of manipulating the air bubble in your dry suit, staying more in trim, and therefore your set's going to stay where it is and thus you can reach your valves. So, yeah, and it goes for back, back kick also. It's the same thing. Back kick, same thing, exactly. If we, you have to be able to manipulate that modified frog kick. Um, so... The reason for the valve drill is A, situational awareness, B, a correlation between what valve goes to which gas uh, delivery system, what hose does it feed. Um, uh, secondly, also, which way do I turn the valves? Is it in the beginning of technical diving, when you start to learn this, it can be a little bit of a, of a puzzle to realize which one turns which way to turn it open uh, or close. Um, so that's also obviously uh, a reason. Again, when we come back to why is it not to do with a failure, because in any failure of your valves, any kind of the nine failures that we plan and train for, the, the most you're going to do with your valves is turn off two valves before you call in your team. Don't turn off three. Don't turn off three. No, <laughs> it's two valves. And it's basically one of the, either left or right. In the manifold. It's it's that simple. Because what are the scenarios that we need to turn off valves? We can hear bubbles or there's something free-flowing. If there's something free-flowing in front of you, you already know what is the problem. Right? Your necklace is starting to free-flow. You know it's the left side. You have to turn off. 
Simple as that. And it's not going to be any other valves that need to be closed off because it was the necklace. It's the second stage that comes from the first stage. Turning off the left post solves that problem. Now, if the bubbles are behind you and you can hear bubbles behind you, it's very, very, very hard to distinguish, almost impossible to, to distinguish left from right. And this it's very obvious, but it's hard. But let's say you hear and you think it's from the right side. You make a, make a choice. You turn off the right side and the bubbles are still there after you've breathed down the long hose and you're now on your necklace. The bubbles are still there. And now what you do? And I'm, I'm always hesitant to, to, to go on with this because it's such a nice test that I do so many times with so many divers that come with gung-ho stories about their technical expertise and I asked this question, what do you do? How have you been trained? What do you do when the bubbles continue? Wow, then it was the other side. Uh-huh. And they go down this whole rabbit hole of not being able to solve the problem. But but solo diving on twin sets is the way to go, by the way, according to them. So, yeah, according so to them. The, the, yeah. So when we turn off that valve and you've breathed down the long hose and you're on your necklace and the bubbles are still there, now you isolate because now you're in no, no man's land. You're in the maybe land. Because you have no idea. You have no idea what's happening. You have no idea. Yeah. So isolate for sure. It could be the sure. left side. It could be the right side. It could be manifold. It could be fixable. It could be non-fixable. It could be any of the other nine failures. So this is where your team comes in. Your team has been observing you and is now being called in by you. Say, hey, I can hear bubbles. Please go and check if I made the right right decision. And they go in and they check the valves and they say, hey, yes, it is the right side that's bubbling and it's the manifold that's bubbling. Double check, the right valve is closed, the manifold is closed. They tap you on your right shoulder, giving you the signal for broken, which is either you you, you kind of simulate you break a pencil underwater in, with your hands, for those of you not watching the video, or uh, you give the middle finger if your hand is op- occupied. It means the right side is fucked, fucked <laughs> for, for, for another word. Yeah. yeah. Um, so th- that's it. So... To say that the valve drill is a whole thing to prepare you for a valve failure, you're going to be turning off two valves. That's a whole lot easier than opening, closing, opening, closing, opening, closing, then do a flow check and then do an SPG check and all that sort of stuff. It's much more complicated. You know, it's interesting when we do it in side mount, you know, when we first had side mount come in, there were like, you know, 38 failure potentials and we've kind of brought it down to two bubbles or no bubbles. Yeah. And it's really simple, right? Even now, it's even more simple with the new system because everything is in front of you. It's in front of you. So if there are bubbles, open everything. Bubbles continue. Shut off the broken one. Isolate. Yeah, isolate. And you're done. No yeah. bubbles. Open everything. Yeah. You know, either it's now you're working or you share gas. Exactly. So got to keep it simple underwater. You can spend all the time you want trying to figure it out when you're in front of a computer, but got to keep it simple underwater. Yeah, Exactly. I want to do the. I want to do a valve drill race. Can we have a? I love racing. I'll yeah, race yeah. anything. Let's have a valve drill race. That would be the, like the dumbest thing we could do, right? But the but the race should be who figures out the first. What was the failure? What was the problem? or even not? I mean, you know, obviously, obviously, if you don't know this, I'm joking, because there should be no racing for this kind of stuff. But even that is not. Anytime you're moving fast, you're you're sacrificing brain power. So, you know, I would, if you're going to lose all your gas in two minutes, it's not going to make any difference if you lose it in two minutes or a minute and a half. Oh, yeah. Right. If you're going to lose all your gas in 20 minutes, it's not going to make any difference if it's 20 minutes or 19 minutes. It doesn't matter. No, it's all planned for. You know, all these firemen that I've been training for years and years, their whole thing is slow as pro. Well, exactly. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. The more pro you are, the slower you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Slow is pro. So how to practice this? Now you've done your Essentials of Tech class and, and you're wanting to prepare for your technical class in the future. How do you practice the valve drill? Because it's a potentially dangerous drill to do, like you just mentioned, Jeff. Because you're, you're turning off valves. Off valves. That's, that's yeah, like a hazardous potential <laughs> just there, right? So first of all, if you are trained in the valve drill and you're training with your buddy and he's this guy or girl that is just always better. You know, there's like a rock in the water. They're they're not sinking, but they're they're dead steady, and they're super confident. You're more inclined. Ah, he's got this figured. Yeah, he wants to train again. Oh, come on, you know. And you're not watching them, and it can be a problem. 
So no matter how good you think people are, people make mistakes and people need to be watched regardless. So if you're looking at this valve drill, really, really pay just as much attention, if not more, than the person doing the valve drill. Really try to see, okay, is he turning off the valve? How many turns did he take? How many breaths did he take to close the turn off, to, to breathe down the hoses? All that sort of stuff. Really be 100% focused on the person who is doing the valve drill. Now, if you don't have, if you're doing the valve drill and you don't have a team or buddy that is either familiar with the, the procedure or uh, technical diving in, in, in as a whole, you can practice, but just don't close off your valves completely. So make it three turns. Do everything that's the same, except don't close off the valves. Because again, it is not so much about the fact that you can close off a valve. If you can reach back, turn the valve, manipulate the valve, so to speak, stay in trim, stay in tune, stay in focus with your team, stay situationally aware, that's 98% of the valve drill um, reasoning done and dusted. Yeah, you don't get the correlation between turning one off and having it go... No, you get everything exactly. exactly. But the other if thing you... you can always do in this situation is, you know, if you know you're going to do this with somebody who doesn't know how to do this, just do a dry run. Just show them yep. what you're going to do. That's the second you know? point. If you and... want it, the, the correlation part comes on dry land. So if you do, if you do that underwater, you tra- you get all of the 89%, 98% benefit. Situational awareness, trim, reaching of the valves, small quirks in your suit, small tips and tricks on getting your harness to sit perfectly, all that sort of stuff is getting you through it without turning off the valve completely. To teach you the correlation, just do it on the bench before you go in the water or at home. But what I'm saying is do it with the buddy who doesn't understand it. You know, have him have the buddy watch your dry run and it's just talk it's first of all, it's good for you to teach a dry run. Yep. And then just talk it through. First, I'm going to do this. I'm going to signal. Then I'm going to confirm the regulator. Then I'm going to reach back and shut off the right post. This is the first dangerous thing. Then I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Take them through it. Show them where the traps are. And then, uh, you know, maybe they'll take an essential of tech course. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Exactly. So don't, if you don't, the the take-home message is if you have to practice a valve drill, don't close off the valves for people who don't know what they're doing or what you're doing. Simple as that. Why is there a thumbs up on my screen? Why is there a thumbs up on your screen? Did you just like give me a thumbs up? I didn't touch my <laughs> keyboard at all. Okay, that was the weirdest thing ever. I just thought you were telling me I just did a fabulous job on that last comment. Even Zoom agrees with us, so please. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. All right, we got time for one more. It's the last question, right? Uh, it's, it's a double again, because we're talking about doubles. So... The first part of this question, and this came up to me the other day, is why can't we? Why do we tell people don't use steel cylinders in side mount? And then that goes to the next piece of it, which is why don't we dive steel doubles in a wetsuit, particularly a three millimeter wetsuit, right? So, so the side mount one is super easy, right? Yeah. The side mount steel cylinders in the side mount steel cylinders are generally negative and aluminum cylinders are close enough to neutral that we can call them neutral right there's always going to be some swing and the cool thing about side mount is you can take the cylinders off or you can add more or add less so you can dive one cylinder two three four five it doesn't really matter all the bc is doing is carrying the weight of the gas however because you can take those cylinders off, the cylinder itself cannot be part of your weighting system. The gas is not part of your weighting system, but you compensate for that with your BC. But the cylinder exactly. can't be part of your weighting system because if you take it off, you're too light. So this is what happens with steel cylinders in side mount is as soon as you take one off or add one or give one to someone yep. or try to no mount it or anything else, the the weight shifts so dramatically. The reason we dive steel cylinders on back mount is because you can't ditch them. Yeah, exactly. And, and it can be a weight system, you know? <laughs> and they, they, are, they are part of your weighting system. We plan on the fact that if you've got, you know, double hundreds that weigh three pounds each or, you know, double whatever 12 liter tanks that weigh, you know, a kilo each, you just factor that in as part of your weighting system because you're never getting rid of that weight. 
Whereas if you have aluminum doubles on your back, then the tanks are factored in as zero. Almost. If you have aluminum, almost, close enough. The beauty of the side mount is that you're so, you know, weightless from, you know, lateral movements. And you can, like you say, you can take a cylinder off, put it out in front of you, and it doesn't affect you because the cylinder is is almost weightless underwater. To do that with a steel is going to screw up everything. It's going to take the beauty of side mount away. And I think the reason for people diving with 12 steel cylinders or steel cylinders of any size is because of the weighting. Because all the arguments I've heard to be pro steel cylinder for side mount is then I don't need as much weight. But think about it. You'd need exactly the same amount of weight. It is where it comes from. That's the question. You mean you don't need as much lead. And that's true. But then again, if I need to weigh myself down to get under the... to, to, to compensate for my buoyancy of my dry suit or my wetsuit, I'd rather have small pieces of lead that I can place where I want it than to have it on the tips of my wings, so to speak, where it's going to be very unbalancing and, and uncumbersome. Plus, if you've ever been handed down a steel cylinder when you're bobbing on the surface, good lord, that's just not fun to juggle with it, right? Whereas an 80 cubic feet is much easier. So it just makes your life easier with with aluminum cylinders. I mean, everybody should try it because, you know, the, the couple of times I've tried it, and I tried it with steel 72s, which are only about a pound and a half, two pounds, barely a kilo heavy. Mm. It still doesn't work. They still don't float. It still doesn't work. The downside, though, the downside of using the aluminum cylinders is you have to manipulate them a little bit more underwater during the dive because they're going to get nose heavy and, and tail light during the dive, so you're going to have to either move them down on the clip or the harness. And Okay, fair enough. I buy that. Okay, so once. It, once. Once. Yeah, once, but exactly. that's better than having the thing hit your knee for the first 40 minutes of the dive. Exactly. On the steel cylinder, which is going to be hanging so low. Taking away the freedom. It's just going to be... Yeah, so um, yeah. you can try it. We say it's not a good idea. But let's go on to the next one, right? What happens if you have doubles in a three millimeter wetsuit, which is not an uncommon scenario of wanting to dive doubles in a three millimeter wetsuit. The question is which doubles? Exactly. So is a three millimeter wetsuit what we call a balanced rig? The answer is yes. It can be, yeah, definitely. And why is it? It's a balanced rig because the swing of the wetsuit when you descend it and crush it is generally less than the amount of buoyancy your lungs can swing. That's kind of what we consider a balanced rig, right? So if you yeah. can, you know, my, my three millimeter wetsuit changes about three, three and a half pounds, you know, a kilo and a half underwater. And I can manage that with my lungs if my wing fails and everything else. So that's a balanced rig. Now, again, the, the reason we put the side mount question first is because, you know, we get to talk about aluminum cylinders being kind of neutral and the BC is just carrying the weight of the gas now you got to look at the same exact scenario when you're diving a three millimeter wetsuit with doubles. Is it possible to actually put steel doubles on your back and be neutrally buoyant in any way? No, no way. No way. No. I mean, if you think about it, in fresh water, a twin 12 steel cylinders, empty, weigh five kilos. If you just take the, take the cylinders, no rigs, just the cylinders... The tank bands, you know, the metal pieces that hold the cylinders together, the manifold and all that sort of stuff, under the water, the thing weighs five kilos. I don't care how big you are, that three mil wetsuit is never going to need five kilos to, to, to become neutral. It's interesting, though, when you, when you talk about that, too, because one of the things I've been doing in the ESM classes we teach here at the camp we did this is um, I bought a little fish scale, you know, the little fish hanging scale, mm-hmm. and I've been weighing everybody's gear underwater. So they can actually see, and it, and it works amazing. It gives you a very accurate picture of what your gear weighs. Exactly. And then the other thing is when we're doing proper weight checks, like in the course of an ESM or some class like that, in aluminum, it's really easy because you can just do it without the cylinder, right? You can just float a long hose. You descend you know, to two meters, six feet, and you can do your weight check with no cylinder on. And then when you put those neutrally buoyant aluminum cylinders on, you're just adding the weight of the gas to the BC. Yeah, when you're diving side mount. What we do is steel cylinder, when you're diving side mount. When we're doing back mount, what we want to do is do your weight check with 500 PSI, 35 bar in the tank. 
And that way, theoretically, that's about as low as you're ever going to go. Whether it's steel or aluminum, it doesn't matter if it's not ditchable. That'll give you a really good picture of where you are in waiting with a cylinder you can't ditch. Yeah. And then take an identical cylinder and strap it on. And then you just have to add the weight of the gas to the wing. But that's it. Exactly. So, I mean, if you if you dive a twin 12 steel... Uh, and like I said, they're five kilos in fresh water. So let's say they're only maybe three, four kilos in salt water, uh, negative. You're going to still have to add the backplate. Now, let's say you're diving an aluminum backplate, which almost weighs 800 grams under the water again. So the, let's say a kilo. You're going to have to add two first stages, which together definitely is going to weigh at least half a kilo, if not more, uh, for the, that system together. So you're talking anywhere between four and a half for the very lightest titanium first stages and aluminium backplate and steel cylinders in salty 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 water which is still more the weight than any three mil in 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 a triple xl big brand new three mil wetsuit is going to need to sink so we can never be in a situation where we can become neutral balanced yeah and balanced if you lose your wings capability to lift you are going to sink. It's as simple as that. There's no way up. And we have a great video that shows that, that you made, that tests that whole thing. So, so all right. So there you go. Steel cylinders, side mount, no, thank you. Uh, steel doubles in three millimeter wetsuit, no, thank you. Well, now someone's obviously going to come. Yeah, but what about the five mil wetsuit? You know, there is more buoyancy in that. You know, I need more weight for the five mil. Okay, great. You need more weight. What is the rule of diving in a wetsuit when we regard weight as to be ditchable? The weight of the gas should be ditchable. That means the wing carries the weight of the gas. So in the beginning of the dive, a twin 12 carries between 5 and 6 kilograms. That's 12 pounds. What? 12 pounds of weight if you're using air. So if you're diving at 3 mil, or sorry, five mil. Yes, that needs more weight. So there, you're 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 completely full, uh, or or system that we just talked about with your heavy, or your lightweight titanium first stages and your aluminium backplate and the steel tank in salty salty water, <laughs> four and a half kilos. That might get there, to be the weight your five mil needs to get neutral. But the weight of the gas is again 5 kilos on top of that, 12 pounds on top of that. And the compression of the wetsuit at depth. Plus the compression, not even talking about the compression of the wetsuit, because there still is a little bit. Yeah, we haven't even gone down that road yet. So if your wing fails in the beginning of the dive in your 5 mil, you're still going to sink to the bottom, so it's not a good idea. 5 mil is like a, five mil is like a hybrid bike, right? Hybrid bike is a crappy road bike and a crappy mountain bike. And I think a, I think a 5 millimeter suit is a... a crappy three millimeter suit and a crappy imitation of a dry suit so yeah i mean it's yeah, it's easy yeah. for us to be judgmental here and say you know what in my life i go from three millimeter to dry suit that's it but i own a dry suit you know if budgets are concerned if dry suits are hard to, for you to come by at this point i understand however you, as in your future especially if you're moving toward more complex diving my recommendation is always going to be go from three millimeter to dry suit and don't do anything in the middle. I don't even want to say complex diving. I say if you freeze, take a dry suit. It's the tool for the job. It's as simple as that. I mean, don't shy away from it. But you know, we have to be realistic too because we are we are telling someone they have to go spend a couple thousand euros, a couple thousand dollars. Well, yes. Hey, you know what? Boohoo. Well, yeah, but I, I get it. You know, that not everybody wants to throw that cash in. But then the other option is go dive where it's warm and you'll spend all your money on traveling. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. So, yeah. So, don't, don't dive uh, heavy steel cylinders in any kind of form for a wetsuit. It is impossible to become balanced. Like, do the maths and you'll figure it out. Yeah. And if you're curious, go get your UTD instructor to do an ESM class, an extreme scuba makeover class with you, because we go through all of this and demonstrate it and show you what your lungs can manage. It's it's really cool. We're doing one in San Diego in a couple of weeks. As a caveat to this, you can obviously dive doubles in a wetsuit, 
but then just make them aluminium. Yeah, no, of course. So if you're tra traveling to Mexico or whatever, or the Red Sea, rent a pair of aluminium cylinders, aluminium backplate, and you're good to go. Yeah, which we do all the time. No problem. Because the cylinders are not heavy. Exactly. All right, cool. So that was fun. We'll, we'll do another one of these. I have, now I want to go back in this list and I have questions on each question. I want to do a deep dive on one of the things is on side mount. How many cylinders can you take in side mount? Let's leave this. All right, let's, let's leave them with a question. I have a 20-pound wing that I use for everything, right? Six kilos of lift. Same here. And I can use any, anywhere from one to six cylinders with that 20-pound wing. Mm. Why? Good question. Let's leave it. Should we leave <laughs> it for them? Yeah, All right. Send us a note, info at utdscubadiving.com, if you know the answer to the question. Also, we'll know you got to the end of the podcast. Yeah, cool. exactly. Um, <laughs> this is awesome. And what are we going to give? All right, so for the correct answers, we will give you, this is, let's do this legit, right? If they're still listening, they should get something for this. So if you can answer the question legitimately, why can I take up to six cylinders in my side mount rig without changing my 20-pound BC and not worrying about the, not talking about using the dry suit for this? We will give you a free ESM online course. Yeah, the materials for the ESM course for free. To the first five people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> first five answers, right? If we get 400 of these, which I don't think we will, but first five people, free ESM course. Why can we take multiple cylinders on these dives? Come see us at DEMA in Orlando, Florida, the first week of November. Come see us in Madrid at the uh, Instructor and Community UTD meeting, the 21st and 22nd of October. Send us, your obscure, send us your obscure questions. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, come take Ben's tech class if you're interested in that in Florida, second week of November. I don't know. There's a million things going on around here. Yeah. So. Or the one in Norway two weeks before that. But Yeah, or, or basically tomorrow. So if you're ready, call Ben right now and get on that course. This was fun. It's still raining, so I'm going to go ride in my garage now. Yeah, it's actually started to rain right now since we started okay. recording. That'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fix it. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you all in the next one. Yes. Have a great day. Have a good time. Bye-bye. Going outside one way, working down the street.